Good evening to each and every one of you. You're welcome here this evening. We trust the Lord will bless you for being in his presence tonight. If you have a Bible, will you turn with me please to Genesis chapter 5. The book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and the fifth chapter. If you just keep your Bible open there, I'm going to read you a verse from the New Testament in John chapter 1 verse 14. Now you don't need to turn to it, it'll be here on the screen, just as an opening verse by way of introduction. And then we'll get down to Genesis chapter 5. Just talking for a moment as the children are making their way out. Bless the Lord. John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Bless him. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence tonight, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your lovely Son. We thank you that he was willing to come and shed his blood and die in our room instead. We thank you for the love that sent him. And Father, as we settle in your presence this evening, I ask you, Lord, will you move from seat to seat and heart to heart. May every head bowed in your presence right now be very conscious of you. As I stand here, Father, I know I am helpless of myself to say anything that would cause an anxious thought. But I ask you, Father, to give me the words to make your voice heard and let your Son be glorified. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Just look at me for a second before we go to Genesis chapter 5. There's somebody here this evening and you said in the presence of the Lord, what's the point? What am I here for? What's the point? John chapter 17 verse 3 says this. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's the point. This life is just a training ground for the life which is to come. The focal point, the core of your existence, the aim and purpose of living is to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. To be aware of, to be sure of, to understand, to know him. Not men and not religion and not church, for all of those things have their failures and their weaknesses. But Christ is ultimate perfection. You can have no argument with him, no beef with him. And it's him that's calling you to a personal relationship tonight. If you're after the heart of God, it's in his son. His son is everything to him. He's the first and foremost of God's thoughts is in his son. The whole word of God is about his son. In the Old Testament conceived, we see the shadows and we see the types all pointing to him that should come. And in the New Testament revealed, God among us. Every twist, every turn, Every fold, every plate of the word of God, if you look, you will find him there. It's all about Jesus. 
Your life is all about Jesus. Even in all the these and thys and the so-and-so begat so-and-so and the genealogies. Is he there? Well, let's take a look. Let's look together at Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5 records ten generations between Adam and Noah. It lists a series of names. You'll find ten names there. And names are important. They're not given willy-nilly. They're given for a reason. They were as a sign of the time. They were explicit to the character of the person, such as Methuselah, which we're going to read about tonight, whose name meant, his death shall bring. When Methuselah died, the judgment of God and the flood was going to come. So everybody had one eye on Methuselah. If anything happens to him, we're all in trouble. His name had a meaning. Let's look at these, uh, these names this evening very quickly. I want to scan down them, so please stay with me. Just concentrate for a few minutes, and I want you to catch this. In verse 2, we see Adam. We have the name Adam, whose name means man. And Adam begat Seth in verse 3, whose name means appointed. Appointed. On down to verse 6, and we see that Seth begat Enos. Enos, whose name means mortal. In verse 9, we see that Enos has begat Kenan, or Canaan, whose name means sorrow. Sorrow. Let your eyes scan down to verse 12, and we have Mahalalil, whose name means the blessed God. In verse 15, we see he has begat Jared, whose name means to descend or shall come down. In verse 18, Jared has begot Enoch, whose name means teaching. In verse 21, as we have already mentioned, is the name Methuselah, whose name means his death shall bring. And then in verse 25, we have Lamech, whose name means despairing. Finally concluding in verse 29 with Noah, whose name means rest or resting place. So what's the significance of all these names? Well, okay, where's the gospel in what you've just read? Well, if we read the meanings of each of these names in their order as they're listed between Adam and between Noah, listen to the sentence that it forms. Man is appointed, mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest. Isn't the word of God amazing? Listen to it again. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down, teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest. Isn't that the gospel? Right here in the beginning, the book of Genesis. Let's look at it. Let's consider it. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. See, God had created man. He had put him in the garden. He created Adam from the dust of the ground. And he breathed into him and Adam became a living soul. He said, let us make him in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion. Adam walked with God in intimate fellowship with God in the cool of the day, clothed in his glory, ruling over all that he had created. And one condition that God gave to Adam, he says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you do, you will surely die. God gave Adam one condition. If you break it, Adam, you're going to be separated from me. You're going to die. But Satan came and he tempted Adam. And he said unto him, you'll be like God's. God doesn't want you to eat that because he's keeping something back from you. If you eat that, you'll be just like he is. You see, he tempted him by saying, God's keeping the best back from you. Are you being tempted like that this evening? Oh, they're just trying to control you. It's just religion. It's mind games. You know, you're going to miss out on life if you give your heart to God. 
There's something better elsewhere. The grass is always greener. Sure, everybody will laugh at you. Your friends can laugh you into hell, but they can't laugh you back out again. Don't be tempted to miss out on God. Satan tempted Adam with what he already had. He was already in fellowship with God. He was already created in his image and given the dominion over all that he had created. But Adam disobeyed and in so doing he fell in the garden and he took all of creation with him. Sin came and separation from God came and sickness and decay and death came and Adam became mortal. He sacrificed what he had with God. And God said to him, the very ground would be cursed for his sake and sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. For dust thy art, and unto dust thy shalt return. And man was appointed mortal sorrow. You see, that is the state of mankind tonight. That is who we are by our nature. We're born in sin and we're shaping in iniquity. We do not commit sin and say, well, that makes me a sinner. We sin because we are sinners. We're born with a sinful nature. We have a gravity towards what is wrong before God and it's who we are. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. No matter how sincere you are tonight and how much you're trying of your own self, you will not make it. You cannot reach God's perfect standard. And God says all of your own works are filthy rags. You cannot make it on your own. And sin separates us from God for time. And for eternity. For sin cannot exist in the presence of a thrice holy God. And that presents a problem. And here it is. It is appointed unto men once to die. But after this the judgment. Every person sitting here this evening. Will stand before God and give an account for your life. For the deeds that are done in the body. Whether they be good or whether they be evil. Some have said well I'll just tell God. He didn't convince me. The gospel wasn't plain enough for me. I wasn't sure. I'll just argue my point. I'll just convince God. I'll just say, nonsense. When you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, you will not be making any arguments. The only question that needs to be answered is, what did you do with my son? In the presence of Almighty God, outside of the love and mercy and safety and covering of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is a consuming fire. And this is the one with whom you have to do. That is why the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Man is appointed mortal sorrow. But it says, the blessed God shall come down. Mark chapter 14, the chief priest asked of the Lord, art thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? Who is the blessed God? Where do you begin we that are but for a moment to describe him who is forever. He is the ancient of days who was and is and is to come. He is immortal and eternal, invisible, the only wise God. He has no beginning and no end. He is everlasting. His light will shine when all else fails and never ending. His glory goes beyond all things. He is omnipresent, all present. He is everywhere. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him. He is omniscient, the all-knowing one. Omni meaning all, saint coming from science. That's where we get our word science, knowledge. All-knowing. 
He is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We cannot hide from him. We cannot run from him. He is the living God. He knows you and everything about you better than you even know yourself. And not just the Sunday come to church you. Not the the suit on and the plate and the God bless you's in all the right places. Not just the plate and the professional go to work you and the face that we have for our neighbours and outsiders and the image that we like people to have of us. But the you when you're having a bad day, the you when it's all falling apart, the you when you go home and you kick the dog and slap the cat and shout at the kids and fight with the other half. The real us. He knows us. And still he loves us. He knew me, yet he loved me and gave himself for me. He is the all-knowing one. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. The most high God. No one else beside him and no one else like him. He says, to whom will you liken me or shall I be equal, says the Lord. He has no equal. He is supreme authority over all things and works all things after the counsel of his own will. And his word carries ultimate power. At a syllable from his lips, he said, let there be and there was. Let there be light and the darkness fled from before his face and it's still running. He said, let there be and planets and solar systems and galaxies and stars by their billions were cast out into the firmament and he knows them by name and he holds them in their place and spins them on their axes. This is God Almighty. He created the world and all that is therein, hemispheres and stratospheres and space and time and vastness beyond our comprehension. And the Bible says he sits upon the the circle of the earth, meaning all things are up underneath him. He is far above it all. He has total authority. He upholds all things by the word of his power. In him we move and live and have our being and by him all things consist. And in his hand your very next breath is. And when he closes it, He is the unlimited God. He is the God with whom all things are possible. He is the God with whom the impossible is natural and the miraculous is simply logical. And he is the one who is unfazed by the weaknesses and the limitations of men. He's the kind of God who'll take a stutterer and a mumbler like Moses and make him a voice to the nation. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He's the kind of God that will let you get into an impossible situation just to show you he's a waymaker and he's a bridge and that he can do anything. When the children of Israel are trapped between the ocean and the enemy, he splits the Red Sea with his breath. He's the kind of God that will go to Abraham and Sarah when they're, they're beyond childbearing age and in their barrenness say, I will make you a father of nations. This is not impossible for me. He's the God that will go to, to Gideon Carring, threshing wheat in a wine press, not wanting the Philistines to know that he's there. And he says, I will take you that is weak and make you valiant in the fight. And he puts Gideon on like an overcoat. And it's no longer just the sword of Gideon. It's the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And he slays the enemies of the armies of Israel until the sword cleaves to his very hand. He's the God that will go to Ruth. He has no husband has no kinsman redeemer and he will tell her that he's more than enough you become her provider the help of the helpless he is the lord of hosts the lord of the armies of heaven the lord strong and mighty in battle 
He is unstoppable. He is the God that when you just praise him, Jericho's walls fell down. He is the God that said, just tell the walls who I am and they'll have to bow to me. He's the God who subdued kingdoms and stopped lions' mouths. What about Daniel? They said, feed him to the lions, throw him in there, let them tear him in pieces. And Daniel found himself with his back to the wall and nowhere to go and nowhere to run and no way out and God just shut the lions' mouths. Have you ever felt like the enemy would just love to cut you in pieces but God just shut the lions' mouths. Thus far and no further. He's a God that when you get cast into the fiery furnace will step in there with you. They cast the, the Hebrew children into the flame and said, well, there's three we cast in, but there's four walking around in the fire. He won't always take you out of the furnace, but he'll step in and become a thermostat in the heat. It's like our God. He's the covenant-keeping, faithful God. Unfailing, he never slumbers nor sleeps. He never forgets and he never forsakes. He's the God that when you find yourself in the prison, if you'll just praise him and worship him, he'll break open the doors and smash the fetters and step down to rescue his own. Just ask Paul and Silas. He's a shield and a fortress and a defense and a high tower like no other. He is healer and provider. He is protector and sustainer. He is our heavenly father and yet he is the king of the universe. He is holy and sinless, spotless perfection. High and lifted up and separate from sinners. Yet he condescends to men of low estate. He is beauty beyond description, overwhelming in his love and his mercy, his compassion, his grace, and his goodness. And to me, the only thing better than knowing that God is all-powerful is knowing that he'll bend his arm and bring his power to bear to help you in your situation. The only thing better than knowing that God knows everything is knowing that God knows me and he'll guide me with his eye, that he has a plan and a purpose for my life, that he'll turn everything around for my good. And when the problem's coming at me one way, he's already sending the answer the other way. The only thing better than knowing that he's all present is knowing that he sees me. And because he sees me, I'm never alone. The only thing better than knowing that God is love is to know that personally, he loves you. And that whatever the cost to himself, he was willing to pay it to bring you back to himself, even the death of the cross. And his love remains undefeated tonight. His love has a voice and love has a name that bless God, and his name is Jesus. And the bless God shall come down. Isaiah says he meted out the heavens with the span of his hand. A span is from your thumb to your little finger. God made it out the heavens with the span of his hand. And yet he was contracted to a span and born of a virgin. And in a moment of time enters this world created for his glory and his honor. And we have Emmanuel, God, with us. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, our Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. And the word became flesh. And dwelt amongst us. God, a very God, wrapped himself in flesh and adorned a face and was born into the scene of time. He had heard the cries of the world for the healing that could only flow from his own words. Theologians call it the great stoop. 
Listen to it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He made himself of no reputation. It means he emptied himself out and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And, we, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, the blessed God. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. He didn't leave heaven's glory for an ivory palace. He left it for the poverty of a stable manger. In the opening chapters of Matthew's gospel, we read the question from the wise men, Where is he that's born, King of the Jews? Follow through in the concluding chapters of the same gospel, you'll get your answer. You'll find it inscribed on a plinth of wood above a mutilated body on a blood-soaked cross. And it says, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The blessed God come down to seek and to save that which was lost. His love for you in action. See, men, we're good at talk. We're good at promises. We're good at bluffing you along. And we're with you today, and we're against you tomorrow. But God showed his love for you with action. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because the Lord laid down his life for us. 1 John three sixteen. The blessed God shall come down teaching. Will you take a moment and let your mind's eye wander through the Gospels? Can you see him in your heart, the Son of God, walking amongst men in his beauty, in his glory? Can you see him by the shores of Galilee? Can you picture him on a mountain alone to pray? Can you see him with his disciples? Can you see him teaching in the synagogues and healing the sick and touching the unlikable and the unlovable and the unreachable? Can you see him gone before sunrise and laboring all day, preaching and teaching and giving of himself, not even as much time as to eat? Can you see him stooping to wash his disciples' feet? The God of glory, the servant king. Move with compassion for the lost and the lonely and the weak and the afraid. When the even was come, he had labored all day. They brought unto him many that were possessed of devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word. And he healed all. Note that. He healed all that were sick, that it might be filled, fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. He himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. He didn't delegate it to someone else. So important was the task of redeeming your soul. So important was the task of healing your body. 
So important was your relationship with him that he himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Can you see the lepers coming to him? Bodies destroyed by decaying disease, outcast and alone, contagious. No one wanted to be anywhere near them. And he says in his desperation, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And listen to Jesus' reply. He says, I will be thy clean. And he touched him. He could have just spoke to him. He didn't have to touch him. But he broke the loneliness and he broke the isolation. And he showed this man, I am greater than that which is destroying you. God is greater than whatever you're facing tonight. Can you see him with the blind man? He opens the eyes of the man that's born blind, whose eyes have never seen the light of day. And they say to him, what's this? How is this possible? What has happened? And he says, I don't know. But since I met him, I can see. They bring on to him the woman caught in adultery, who deserved by Jewish law to be stoned to death. And they say, what do we do with her? They're ready to kill her. They're ready to take her life because she's broken the law. And he says unto them, he that is without sin, cast the first stone. And we watch the pharisaical, critical, religious, judgmental spirits melt into the background like the vipers that they were until she is left alone with the Lord. And he says, where is this thine accusers? Does no one condemn you? And they're gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The Holy One of Israel, the only one without sin, the only one with the right to judge or make that decision had no stones to throw. Just mercy, just love, just grace. And they beheld him and they wondered when the dumb spake and the maimed were made whole and the lame walked and the blind saw and they said, we never saw it after this manner. There's never been anybody like him before or since and to this day there never will be anyone like him. This is Jesus the Nazarene. Yet he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, yet the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. God of very God, on whose shoulders the hope of the whole world rests, a homeless man. Even John the Baptist in the prison, he says, just check again for me. Sends the disciples, just ask him one more. And the disciples approach and they say, Art thou he that should come or do we look for another? And listen to his words. He says, Go and tell John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. This is my Jesus. And he has not changed. But are you offended in him tonight? Let me ask you a question. You'll hear it in eternity. So we might as well get it out of the way now. What think ye of Jesus? Do you love him tonight? What's not the love? Are you living for him tonight? Because there's no middle ground. There's no secret disciples. There's no I don't care either way. It's not for me. I just don't bother with that. I'm not making a decision. That's not how it works, friend. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. 
If you don't want them, you've made your decision. You're against them. But let me make it clear to you tonight. He loves you. The multitude of his thoughts towards you are beyond measure. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's what he came for, to rescue you. But listen, he says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you believe in him tonight? What are you believing in? What are you trusting in? What are you building your life upon? And what are you going to go out into eternity trusting in? Is it Jesus? He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, there's no getting away from his message here. It's not fuzzy. It's not unclear. It's black and it's white. It's plain and it's simple and it's honest and it's true. Are you born again tonight? Have you been born again of the Spirit of God? If not, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That is the truth. Are you saved tonight? Are you sure? If you were to die tonight, or the Lord Jesus was to break the clouds and return, and it's coming soon. Are you ready for eternity? You see, your soul is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You get in the picture. Without end. This life is a vapor and it's over. But the decision you make about Jesus Christ will determine your eternity. What is it that holds you back? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind. Turn around. Turn from the world, turn from sin, turn from the things that you're putting before him and give your life to the Lord and live for him. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. And the Lord is coming back soon. Will he receive me? Look at the things I've done, look at the time I've wasted in my life. Will will he take me? Well, listen to him in John 6 and 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise, in no wise cast out. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Aren't you tired by now of trying to make it on your own? You're not tired by now of the continual struggling and striving and failing and mistake after mistake and conviction after conviction and falling after falling. You just want him to give you rest. He says, These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
If you're seeking peace for your soul tonight, you will not find it anywhere else than in the person of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall come down teaching. You see, they said of him, never a man speak like this man. See, these aren't my words. These are his words. These are words of spirit and life and truth. And he says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you want to be free tonight, act on the word of God. If you speak into your heart, listen to the word of God. The blessed God shall come down teaching and his death shall bring the despairing rest. Notice again what he says here. It's his death. It's no other. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's his death. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is one God, one Lord, and one mediator or go between, between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And listen, I love you tonight. And I'm not trying to offend anybody. But this is the truth. All others are false religions and dead prophets. Jesus Christ is alive tonight after the power of an endless life. And his word is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is only one true God. His name is Jesus. I want you to think about him. We're on holy ground now. You think about his death. I want you to see him in Gethsemane, in the garden, in the place of crushing. When the weight of all of our sin and our shame and our faults and our failures and our iniquity and our filth fell upon him. And the Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. The spotless Lamb of God. Bearing all of our sin and our shame. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And they take him and they put him through a farce of a trial. And they find no fault in him. And they bring him before Pilate and it's the same. And yet the crowd yells, Crucify. Crucify. No mercy for Jesus. Crucify. And they take him and they spit upon him. The Bible says they buffeted him. It means to continually, continually strike and strike and strike and strike again. And they pull the beard from his face. And they strip him naked and they put him to an open shame. And they plait a crown of thorns, the symbol of Adam's curse from the ground. And they drive it into his brow. And they mock him. Heal Jesus, King of the Jews and they take him to the Roman scourging post before the garrison and the Roman lash many tails lined with lead and bone and hooks of metal and iron and they strike him and they strike him and they strike him again and he falls under the weight of it and yet he bears himself back up all it would have taken is one word and the legions of heaven would have been at his disposal but he's there for you and me. And again and again and again. And Isaiah says, Surely or truly, certainly, he hath borne or carried away our griefs or our disease, our sickness, our malady, and carried our sorrows, our grief, our pain, and our anguish. 
all of your sickness, all of your disease, all of your pain fell upon him. Cancer and ME and MS and diabetes and all of those wicked things that plague the heart of mankind. And Jesus is bearing them on the whipping post. The Bible says that his visage was so marred more than that of any man and his form more than the sons of men. He was disfigured. The Amplified Bible reads he was made an object of horror. A pulp-blooded mass. Why is he there? The sinless, spotless Son of God, this awesome, almighty God that commands all things that at a thought or a word could do anything. Why is he there? Why is he going through these things? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes. Every one of those lashes. We are healed. He's there for you and he's there for me. And they take him to Golgotha's hill and there they crucified him. And they took the nails and they drove them through his hands and through his feet. And they dropped the cross into its stand and they suspended him there between heaven and earth, the very God that had created them both, and sat back to watch him die. And he's dying there for you and for me. And all the punishment for our sin fell upon him. Wave after wave of the wrath of God's righteous judgment against the sin and rebellion of fallen man fell upon Jesus Christ upon the cross and he bore it, taking your place. He became our substitute and the sword of God's wrath and anger was sheathed within the heart of his son and he took our place. And mercy refused and love took my place. There on the cross where justice met grace until he cried out, it is finished. Paid in full. What was finished? What was paid in full? Your debt. Your debt. Everything that separated you from the presence of God, all of your sins and your shame and your transgressions, he bore it away. That we might be reconciled back to God. Listen to Romans. He says, who was delivered for our offenses? It means surrendered. He was surrendered for our offenses. Love, it was love that held Jesus on the cross, not nails, not Roman soldiers. He surrendered himself. He yielded himself. He gave himself up for our offenses all of our errors and sins and trespasses and faults and deviations and lapses is what it means here. And he was raised again for our justification. Justification just as if I never sinned. It means acquittal here. It's a legal term. Jesus was raised again from the dead to declare you innocent if you put your trust in him. If you put your lot with the Lord Jesus Christ and said, I'm relying on you and no one else, you're declared innocent. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he reconciled us back to God. But God commendeth or showeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, the enemies and rebels of God, Christ 
died for us. The first Adam fell in the garden and appointed us to mortal sorrow. The first Adam brought us separation, but the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, has reconciled all things back to himself. You see, if you ask him into your life tonight, you put your trust in him. Lord, I need you. I believe you died on that cross for me. I'm putting my trust that the sacrifice you made is more than enough. And I'm not trusting in myself. When you ask him into your life, you're born again of the Spirit of God. And old things are passed away. And behold, all things are made new. And you're made a new creation in Jesus Christ. You're translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and the kingdom of his dear Son. And you're saved for time and for eternity. And you're part of the family of God. That's the gospel. Justified by faith, we have peace with God. I'm closing. The time's far spent. It says, and he shall bring the despairing rest. (coughs) Despair is an awful thing. The word despairing means hopeless. Hopeless. With God, there is always hope. But it says, if you're without God in the world, you're without hope. And if you go out into eternity without God, it's hopeless. It doesn't have to be that way. You do not have to leave here tonight without getting right with God. You can leave here with the peace and the assurance in your heart that your sins are forgiven, that you're reconciled back to your heavenly Father and you're right with him for time and eternity. A life without Christ is shattered dreams. And maybe you're here and despair is how you really feel in your heart of hearts. Pressure after pressure and situation after situation. Until currents of despair are washing away your very personality and they're changing you. Listen to me, this is for someone tonight. Currents of despair are washing away your very personality and it's changing you. And stuff you could be walking in, you're drowning in. And you're tired to the point where nothing seems worthwhile and nothing seems good anymore. You're tired of fighting just to keep yourself afloat or pushing yourself over the next hurdle or facing the next struggle. And you don't have to be old to be tired. It's like anyone that buys and sells cars will tell you, it's not the year of the vehicle, it's the mileage on the engine. There's someone here tonight, you're not very old in years, but you've been through more in your life than anyone should ever have to face. And you're tired. And you're asking, what's the point? And despair is setting in. Don't turn away from the Lord. I'm going to say it again. Don't turn away from the Lord. There is no one else in the universe that can touch your life and change your situation. There is no one else's presence that can come upon you and make things right. There is no one else that can speak a word into your life tonight that goes back into your past and heals your yesterday, secures your today, and will anchor your tomorrow. He gives the despairing rest, a resting place. Whoever you are tonight, God sees you, God knows you, and he loves you. You're not here by coincidence. You're here by divine appointment to hear the word of God to your life. Please don't leave here 
without speaking to someone. I'll be at the back as you go or speak to someone you came with. Speak to someone. We'll pray with you. We'll spend time with you. We'll introduce you to Jesus. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest. Thank you for listening to me tonight. May God bless his word to each of our hearts. And everybody said, Amen. Gary, will you come forward in the worship team, please?